everyone, this is Abhilasha Chahan and you are listening to Startup Tuesdays. In this episode 11, I'll chat with Parag Dhu. Parag is a venture partner at Inventors Capital Advisors. He has been a venture investor for more than 20 years, backing nearly 30 companies resulting in 14 exits, including 3 IPOs. Before joining the Inventors team in 2008, Parag had been an associate director at Intel Capital's India Venture team in Bangalore. Today, we are going to talk about startup fundraising. If you prefer to read or watch this talk, you'll find the link below in show notes. So, let's get started. Thank you for your time, Parag. Please tell us a little about yourself. Okay, so starting with Inventus, we are an early stage technology focused venture capital firm uh, based in the US and in India. So three of my partners are based in Silicon Valley and three of us here in Bangalore. We got started, we made our first investment in 2008. We make investments in technology companies, technology broadly defined, which is uh, internet, mobile, software, and tech-enabled services. We have made 38 investments till date, uh, slightly more than half of them in India and rest of them uh, in the US. We have focused companies. A Series A investor, typically one and a half, two million dollar uh, check sizes uh, is, is what we do. About myself, I've been a career, almost a career VC. I've been in the VC business since 1993, all of it in India, an engineer MBA by training. So that's well. How's your early days? How did you get into venture capital? Yes, it was uh, it was kind of I call it the Russian roulette of uh, of uh, placement, uh, so to speak. If you uh, know about those days uh, when when you are young MBA grads, you don't know the world, etc. So I thought I wanted a finance job and ended up at India's first venture capital company, uh, which was ICS Venture. Now it was called TDICI during those days. So it was, uh, it was, I mean, not, not a very conscious choice. I didn't know what I was getting into, uh, but I realized it was, it was a good thing. About six months into it, I realized that it suited my temperament. I am a person who, uh, who uh, likes to invest for, for the medium, medium to long term. I have that kind of an outlook, and that's what is required in the business. The second thing about it was uh, that it is. It is an ideal uh, job, if you will, for an MBA, so to speak, because not only do you get to invest in a company, but you get to stay with that company for five, six years. And the amount of, if you are a student of business, what is, <laughs> which is what an MBA is supposed to be, uh, then, then this is an ideal perch. So I liked it and I kind of stuck around. Early days, in 1993, most people, when we went out, let's say marketing on sales or marketing kind of calls, people would ask us, how much interest do you charge on your, <laughs> so we would say we are equity investors, etc., etc. So starting from those days when the industry managed $50 million, that is million, uh, $50 million to today, most of the funds, we ourselves manage about $150 million between two funds. So it has been quite a journey, quite a journey. Okay, what is the biggest positive indicator you see for the seed stage companies? So, I, I think many, many of them uh, wouldn't single any, uh, any one of them out. I think uh, today for the right team uh, and uh, the right, uh, right idea, so to speak, that combination, uh, 
money is available. Uh, there are people willing to work for startups uh, today. The rest, rest of the ecosystem in terms of whether it is lawyer support, the angel funds, um, some Indian angel network kind of people or a K Bloom, etc., etc., that, that set of funders are available. So it's a combination of all of those things and many people have made money. Let's say the Infosys founder starting off with and now the next generation has also made money investing it back. Uh, so things seem to be coming together for the seed and we are series A next step but for the entire ecosystem I think um, things are coming together. There are There is a bit of craziness that goes on probably 2015 as we were discussing. And so that, that bit of craziness happens and goes, but overall directionally very positive is what we, uh, what we feel for the entire ecosystem, yes. What do you think, what should one know before starting a business? So it depends. I think uh, I haven't made up my mind. Uh, it, is, it is between two things, I would say. Uh, one thing is some businesses by definition require a lot of domain knowledge you are required to be in that business let's say you're starting a semiconductor company you need to know uh, how to design how to how it works how it works within the system etc etc so those businesses you need to have that domain knowledge at times at times uh, in special cases being an outsider helps uh, example we were investors in redbus the guy who founded redbus three people started it but uh, funny in particular uh, he he came from outside that ecosystem fossilized industry had not changed in 50 years here was a guy who came in with a marketplace idea um, basically fitted in beautifully as an online agent, so to speak. So the economic model, etc., fitted in beautifully. And because of his, uh, because of his outside-in view of things, he could, he could really grow that company, so to speak. An insider wouldn't, have, wouldn't uh, find it possible. So I think it depends on the situation. Uh, in some cases, uh, domain knowledge, I would say, uh, Working in that area is almost essential. In other cases, an outsider stands a better chance. Okay, so who should start a company? Like, how could one decide if he's the right person to do it or if it's worth doing? So I'll give you an example. Uh, this is called the marshmallow test. Uh, you should look it up on the uh, if you haven't heard of it. But if you, it's, it's it's essentially involves giving a child uh, a marshmallow uh, and saying that if you don't eat that for and locking him up in a room like this with nothing else to do uh, and saying that if you uh, don't eat it for the next ten minutes, uh, then I'll give you another one. Uh, so the success uh, they what they did was they uh, they uh, implemented this on let's say 100 kids and then they tracked the successes of people uh, depending on whether they uh, they could resist the temptation or not and success was hugely correlated with the people who could postpone gratification so to speak so people who waited for the second I think entrepreneurs are like that. I liken it to running also. It's very hard in between if you're running half a marathon or a full marathon at 10 kilometers, 15 kilometers. You kind of think, why are you doing this? Why are you being so stupid? Uh, and I think entrepreneurship has those times. So what I'm trying to say is an ideal entrepreneur is somebody who can, who can go past that stage because he's fixated uh, on the end. And that end doesn't necessarily have to be money 
could be uh, changing the ecosystem, it could be uh, red bus should be uh, what people should think of when it is, it is and the same applies to Flipkart or, or any of the big guys who have done well as a matter or whoever, uh, any of our portfolio companies also uh, for that matter. Uh, so it, it, is, it is that, that, uh, that ability to postpone instant gratification for benefits in the future is, is the person who should become an entrepreneur. If, if I want a big house and have an EMI of 2 lakhs a month at a very young age, that's exactly the wrong kind of mentality uh, for, for being an entrepreneur. If you are that type and, and this is not a value judgment, it's a perfectly good way to lead a life but then be an employee or don't be an entrepreneur. Somebody who can live as somebody beautifully described, somebody who can live with, uh, with uncertainty. Uh, he, he gave the example of, of uh, I have this ability to be able to drive a car in fog, uh, see only 60 meters and be comfortable in it. Uh, some people want to see that two kilometers uh, straight, it's like a plane landing, you need so much of visibility. If you are the plane type, then don't do it. Yeah, but if you are the uh, car type, uh, where 60 meters is good enough, do it. Yes. Okay, interesting example. So, what methods do you use to assess these applicants to make an investment? So essentially most VCs will give you the same answer that I'll give you but three, uh, three key things matter for us. Uh, one is the team uh, at an early stage, the, you know, the quality of the people involved, their backgrounds, etc. So we have chemistry, uh, all of that matters, uh, uh, completeness, etc, etc. We can't expect it to be fully complete but at least let's say the CTO and the CEO should be in place for example. Uh, so uh, that is one. Uh, the number two is the market, how, how large it is and how fast it is growing. Uh, fast growth is very important. And third is the competitive advantage because uh, BVC investors like to invest in companies which have the potential to return 10x or more uh, on our capital and that can only happen in, in companies which have strong USP as we call it, unique selling proposition as we call it in these parts and, uh, and uh, me too companies clearly won't get there. So those are the three key things I would say, team, the market and the USP. Okay, so when should a startup raise the capital and why it is required at the first place? So uh, various situations, one could be that uh See, in a services business, you you are profitable almost from day one from the first customer. So you can bootstrap a services business. But some businesses require a bit of capital before you get started. The Airtel is at one end, uh, which requires so many towers to be put up before you give off a phone, isn't it? Uh, but some businesses are in between. Flipkart could be an example in between or a red bus can be an example in between. Before you, you have to set up the site and the and the relationships with the bus operators before you sell the first ticket, isn't it? So uh, uh, what they call as build and they will come kind of businesses, you have to build something before somebody comes to you. Uh, that requires capital. Many people do not have that capital because young guys starting up, etc, etc. Or if you're starting up for the second time, you do not want to take the risk with your 
entire money. Maybe you made 10 million dollars in the past, but you want to put only 2 million of it at risk, 8 million you want to preserve for a family, etc., etc., then for risk sharing, you do it with somebody else. Even for a first time entrepreneur, sharing risk with, after all, any venture is risky. Yeah, you are entrepreneurs, you know that. So, uh, to that extent, sharing, uh, sharing risk is a big, big part. Uh, and thirdly, I think it is applies to some VCs, not to, uh, not to others maybe, but uh, most VCs see a lot of businesses, they bring a certain set of understanding. The basic, on the domain, there's no doubt that the entrepreneur would have thought the longest and the hardest about that problem, so his knowledge levels will, be, will exceed uh, that of any VC probably. Uh, but a VC gets to see a lot of things, meets a lot of people, can help make introductions, can help you raise the next round of financing. So the value add, this this kind of nebulous concept at times, is is another reason why people should raise VC. Okay, what do you think? What are the right milestones one needs to hit in order to ensure a successful raise? So the milestones depend on, on the type of uh, raise. When you're raising money at a three guys in a business plan kind of a stage, then what you're trying to do is to essentially get a product out, uh, the seed stage of funding. So you are typically looking at a 9 to 12 month horizon, working on the product, do some uh, uh, market touch on the side, try try and feel the market. You're not thinking so much about the transactions, etc., etc. Uh, you just want to get to a stage where in, in 9 to 12 months, using the seed money, you can you can get the product out and in the hands of a few customers if it is uh, if it is an enterprise product and uh, let's say thousands of customers if it is uh, a consumer-led product. Then you go to a Series B guy who now wants to take these thousands of customers and convert it into 10,000 or hundred thousands of customers and then series B is hundred thousand to maybe millions of customers so it is step by step uh, depends on, on on the business in an enterprise case I would say at a seed stage you would be just uh, six nine months later when you go to series A that is uh, somebody like us would be happy with with a few customers in an enterprise SaaS kind of company with a few customers or maybe even slightly earlier which is that one large customer is is doing a beta uh, of the product so um, depends entirely on the kind of money that you're raising i mean seed state series a series b and on underlying business as well so it's uh, it can't be a very generic answer but but every round of financing is after you hit a milestone think about it that way it is step by step financing and you should be very clear when you raise uh, funding from uh, one particular investor whether it is seed uh, seed or a series a you should be aligned in, as to how much time you will take till you raise the next round and what you will achieve in the meantime so that alignment should be there from from day one what do you think about bootstrapping should founders bootstrap as long as possible or look for fundraise early on? So, it depends. There is no one right answer. I, I think uh, 
See, any money comes with strings attached. So there is no money without strings attached. So there, there will be agreements, people will have a point of view. Uh, some VCs are more active than others. They will, they, at times they will interfere, etc., etc. So uh, if you can bootstrap, you should bootstrap because then, then you're doing it with money that, uh, that doesn't come with any strings attached, so to speak. Uh, or raise it from friends, family and fools, as they say. Uh, raise it from those kind of people where the strings attached to fewer um, and then uh, take it to institutional VC. But at times because of some of the things that I said earlier, uh, when it is a build and they will come business and Ola and Uber cannot be created till till really you have a thousand taxis in Bangalore. That, that, that requires money to be pumped in. In those kind of cases, you will have to perforce go to a VC at a very early stage. Uh, and, and there uh, you have no choice uh, almost because you can't have that much money yourself. But in a, in a business where, where you can bootstrap or get customer funding ideally, if, if you're solving such a pain for a customer, happens very rarely. I don't think happens more than maybe a single digit percentage of time, I would argue, low single digit. But if you can get a customer to finance, uh, nothing like it, that's probably the best. Because that's not only validation but also money from the customer. So. So, how long does it take to raise an early stage round? I think, um, at least I'm talking about India, uh, you should give yourself Series A uh, three to four months. Seed, I would say, slightly lower uh, because those guys are more nimble. They are by, by definition investing not in the numbers but in the people, etc., etc. So, it's easier. But yeah, given that it requires a financial legal due diligence, etc., give yourself at least three to four months to be on the safe side. Most of the time, money will come in earlier. In in tough times, it might take longer. In 2015, people did it in 15 days. But I think uh, uh, prudence uh, planning by, by an entrepreneur should be of that order, three to four months for a series series. What do you think, what are the top three things every new founder should concentrate on? I think uh, number one is to get a great team uh, around uh, uh, him or her. Second is focus. Uh, I think lack of focus because entrepreneurs by nature uh, see a lot of a uh, lot of uh, opportunities. That's that's how their brain is wired. Uh, so. Uh, bringing it back to uh, to a singular problem being solved and a large enough problem being solved is is very very important third thing i, I think and this is not done by especially the the technology oriented founders that we see in bangalore it's, you know, processes compliance etc become important uh, I mean, uh, see, at the end of the day, law can catch up with you. Some of our laws are not are not exactly very friendly at times. So, uh, so putting that in place, uh, so that the organization you set the foundation for the organization right from day one for it to be a big company and compliant with law and and uh, taken that that is an ignored aspect. Uh, I think, and so I'm not just arguing for compliance. I'm also arguing for for processes, so that so that it is not very people dependent. Yes, at an early stage, chaotic uh, seed series A stage, things will be chaotic. But uh, but even then, uh, if you have a culture of processes where it becomes 
where it starts to move from being people dependent to process dependent. Uh, at least you start on the journey, that's very important and generally ignored by most of the founders that we see at an early stage. So those are the three key things I would say. What are your thoughts on solo founders starting a business? Yes, solo founders generally, I'll go with the conventional view. So, uh, solo founders are generally uh, not, uh, not really uh, looked, uh, looked highly upon simply because there are many reasons. One is obviously they hit by a truck risk. Anything can happen to a solo founder, what's happened, what happens to the organization. And secondly, if you look at an entrepreneur's journey, and I've said this before, uh, it's very lonely. It consists of ups and downs. So you, you need you need somebody to speak with at at that time because you can't. It's only in a co-founder can you confess. You can't confess really what is happening. I'm running out of money next month. You can't confess to an employee. You can only confess to, and and bottling it up inside one person creates a, a lot of tension. So for that reason, besides obviously those standard reasons of a person can't be good at everything, so having somebody else. If you look at most successful companies, even a Steve Jobs needed a co-founder. Even a Bill Gates needed a co-founder. These are very strong personalities. As Mark Zuckerberg. Went he started off had co-founders. Uh, Jeff Bezos is probably the exception. Yes, um, there is, but every exception proves the rule. But in general, um, at least two, uh, ideally three in my mind. Uh, anything more than three is a crowd for sure. Uh, but uh, that kind of a base is what people like for the multiplicity of skills, for the ability to talk to each other, shoulder to cry on, all of those things. I think uh, sole founders are kind of frowned upon. If you will. Not that we don't do it, uh, we have done it, uh, but, uh, but we think about it. Think about it. What are your favorite questions to ask founders while assessing them? No, I don't have uh, any any specific uh, uh, checklist that that I go through. It is it is very uh, situation specific. Uh, but you you are trying to judge for some of the things that uh, that I talked about. So you are trying to judge chemistry. Uh, you are trying to find out you know, the backgrounds. Uh, we focus a lot. Initial part of the meeting is a lot on background. What you did. What relevance does this have? You don't ask those specific questions, but you are trying to work you know, work it out in your head uh, by asking the right set of questions, uh, the chemistry, by uh, who speaks when, if the CEO doesn't speak at all but uh, but uh, her husband does for example then, then you think about uh, you think about it. Even a husband wife team is the right team, is that a right team or not. So all of those considerations uh, go into it. So it is very situation specific. I don't have a particular uh, good short answer to give you. It is a it is hundred different questions. I think about VC investing process as sampling a large set of uh, see uh, when you create a company if you want to really study that company then there will be a thousand data points let's say uh, broadly. Uh, so the VCs tend to ask hundred questions and make up their minds that okay if these hundred seem right the rest of the 900 are right. So that's that's what we, we guys focus on those hundred questions and singling out one would probably uh, not be right plus plus it will not be case specific. Uh, it's, it's, uh, giving a generic answer is not right. What do you think are the best ways for founders to reach out to the investors? So it is traditionally understood that go through an introduction. Uh, so uh, people 
people argue i have a different point of view i should state that but um, uh, uh, people argue that if you go through an introduction then it is taken more seriously because first thing you made the effort second and some credibility is attached. So find somebody credible ideally who can introduce you to, uh, to a VC. Uh, my, my view is, is on the other hand is quite different. So that is the textbookish VC answer that you'll get from uh, I would argue 95% of the VC. My VC, my uh, answer has always been, my view has also always been that see VC is, is a diamonds in the rough business. We are looking at 300 business plans a month. Okay, which is which translates to God knows three thousand plans a year, uh, and and at that rate uh, you are basically doing five or six, five, six, seven, eight uh, uh, out of that. So it is basically diamonds in the rough. You you are seeing a lot of plans, but you are doing very few. Uh, in that case, trying to say that introduction is better than this is is in my mind. Uh, uh, fine graining it to an extent which is not required. So I tend to, even if a guy writes to me at LinkedIn or it comes to to our website, I give it equal priority. But I I am a very small minority. Most of my, my VC friends will not say that. Okay. Any final advice for new entrepreneurs, or what advice would you give to yourself if you are in your early twenties? So best advice to the founders, I'll say focus. Uh, I think uh, uh, as one of our partners beautifully describes it, uh, one knife, a single knife cuts beautifully, but two knives, uh, if you're cutting butter, even that will be difficult uh, because they're together. together. So uh, you, you have to do that. You, you have to focus on one single thing, one single thing problem you can only drive yourself and your organization you only have 24 hours in a day so you you have to focus all your energies that would be the uh, my, my advice to the entrepreneurs for whatever it is worth uh, what i would do if i were 20 again i think uh, if i look at myself uh, i think i am uh, i come from the old school slightly conservative uh, uh, focus on the unit economics of the business, get to profitability fast, uh, get to uh, stand on your own feet, so to speak. You shouldn't require funding for uh, for X number of years, whatever that X is defined, beyond an X number of years, uh, three, four, five, whatever number you put. Uh, so I come from that old school. I, I think what that does to uh, one I've noticed is that uh, you tend to ignore very large opportunities, uh, Flipkart, Ola, uh, kind of opportunity. Not those specific companies I'm saying, but those business models, so to speak, because those business models require a lot of money upfront, but the prices there, the end game there could be very big. And I think I didn't think like that when I was young. I probably don't do it even today, but I would like to, uh, if I had that ability to roll back to 20, then I would try and retrain myself uh, that even that way of thinking is a valid way of thinking. It's a riskier way of thinking, but uh, at the end of the day in finances, they say uh, if you do get it right, then the reward should pay for the risk. I think I, I didn't internalize that at that age as a VC. Um, at at uh, uh, late 40s, it is much easier to rationalize that, but nevertheless. Well, thanks so much for your time and great advice. Okay, thanks. As always, come back and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. 
To stay updated with all the latest happenings, you can follow me on Twitter. You'll find the link in show notes. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you next Tuesday.